You're listening to Simulcast, a podcast about healthcare simulation. So welcome to Simulcast. I'm Victoria Brazel, and today we're going to be talking about COVID-19 as if there was anything else to be talking about. But obviously here at Simulcast, we're going to be talking about it in the sense of simulation and how we as simulation providers may be able to help in both the preparation and management of the challenges that we're likely to be dealing with this. So in this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what is that challenge. And most importantly, we're going to provide a link to a page that we're setting up on Simulcast that we hope will be a repository of resources for uh, folks to share. That said, I'm also very excited because joining me on the podcast today is Jessica Stokes Parrish, who many of you may know as a longtime friend of Simulcast, who will now be joining more formally as one of the Simulcast producers. How are you, Jess? I'm good, and I'm very excited to be here. Well, Simulcast listeners, Jess will get a really formal introduction uh, soon in a special episode that we're doing with Jessie. Uh, but just for those who don't know her, uh, Jess is an ICU nurse and a simulation practitioner who is interested in many aspects of sim. She's both an educator, uh, a researcher, having just finished her PhD in moulage, and has some other special interests in the area in uh, social media and women in simulation advocacy. So uh, we are excited to have you, Jess, and I don't want to minimise that for a minute. Oh, no, no, but I'm, I'm really excited to be here and um, what a time to be involved with Simulcast. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, that's a nice segue into what we're going to talk about today. Uh, these are challenging times ahead for anyone in healthcare and in many other uh parts of the community. And so we thought it would be worthwhile putting together a bit of an idea about what people are doing around the world in order to prepare their facilities best for the COVID-19 challenge. And I guess there's lots of information out there, Jess, but just by way of kind of clinical background, obviously COVID-19 is a virus. It tends to cause respiratory symptoms. It's a droplet aerosol spread and uh, of most challenge about 5 to 10% of cases require fairly intensive hospital treatment. There's no uh, vaccine and no cure for this, just oxygen and various kinds of ventilatory support. Uh, as we record this, Australia's got about um, 200 cases, but we expect that will rise fairly rapidly. And we're assuming at this point in time that there is uh, a fair amount of community-based transmission. That's my incredibly... Um, Short synopsis, Jess, is that how you see the sort of picture from a clinical and epidemiologic point of view? <laughs> yep, yep, I concur. All right, well, let's focus in on then what do we think are the specific challenges for healthcare providers where simulation might be able to help? And uh, I've certainly obviously been thinking about this from a personal point of view and the work that we've been doing at our own institution. And about a week ago, we uh, had a meeting and enabled, I guess, a strategy that looked uh, probably at about three or four key elements. Uh, one of those, which I think has been very important, is just simple skills and how do people don and doff their personal protective equipment. Uh, the second level up from that is how do we do the procedural and other skills that we might normally do, but with the added complications of trying to minimise uh, aerosolization, and I'm thinking obviously intubation, but there's many others as well. Uh, but one of the other things which I guess have come up is the the challenges to teams and even just when you're a mar wearing a mask, how difficult it is to communicate. Uh, teams are often smaller because we're trying to minimise risk. 
Uh, and then there's, I guess, a couple of slightly more out there ideas, um, and that is, you know, thinking about patient flows through the hospital and simulation, I think, can be very valuable for that. And uh, then things like rapid upskilling of staff for tasks that might be unfamiliar, and I'm thinking particularly more generally trained staff who might now be called upon to provide more critical care or respiratory-based care. So again, that's a really short synopsis of the kind of approach that um, I, I see many people uh, pr- uh, moving towards. But um, Jess, you've also got personal experience and you're very well connected in social media. Do you see those as the main things or different things? No, I, I do think they're the main things. I think what strikes me as challenging with all of this is what comes first? How do you do it? Um, you know, even what about doing simulations, is that increasing the risk of exposure for our staff? You know, we're being told that we shouldn't have um, large meetings or bring people together. So what does that mean for all of this training? And, um, you know, I think we've got unprecedented challenges around how we implement this. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I think came up very quickly is, what are we doing using PPE for simulation training when we know there's going to be shortages? And and so there are trade-offs here. Mm. Uh, just on that note, it seems that many people are doing a variety of things. I did a little Twitter poll about this. Most people are reusing PPE to some extent, although I don't think the idea of reusing masks is particularly good, uh, and having to substitute so-called fake PPE. So, you know, putting on a surgical mask instead of a proper N95 I think all of these things are trade-offs, Jess, and we just have to think about um, how can we benefit from SIM without obviously detracting from the uh, main things we're doing. Yeah, and look, I think it um, brings to light to, I I was seeing on Twitter, people have been sharing videos of practicing skills and it struck me as maybe there's a place for video rehearsal here too and, and mental rehearsals of skills to refresh, especially for people who've already Uh, are already proficient in some of these skills. Yeah, and that's certainly been my take. I think it's good for everyone to do, we've been practicing intubations, for example, in the emergency department using small teams in PPE. And I do think people need one run through, which is uh, you actually got to don and doff your full PPE to go in there. But I think once people have done that, uh, they've got something to draw upon and maybe we can focus on other aspects of the challenge uh, without having to repeat that uh, element of it. Mm. I'm just wondering too, I know we talked a little bit last week about some of the strategies that you did around actually practicing PPE, putting PPE on before you go to a rapid response or a medical emergency. Um, How have you found that? Yes, so we do have a, obviously I'm involved in emergency department, but, you know, I think a lot of these patients with getting information come in okay and then deteriorate in the ward either days later Uh, and so we have been looking at that aspect of it what do we do and we're finding that putting on PPE does take a long time and so for a team arriving at for instance a met call medical emergency call to have a sequence of who goes into the room and prioritize a couple of people putting on their PPE early because, uh, you know, it's, it's very hardwired, isn't it, in healthcare providers to sacrifice themselves and run in and start doing something. But, of course, well, the last thing we want to do is deplete the uh, staff numbers uh, when we do something like that in someone who might be infectious. But I think we've still got a lot of work to do there. I'm not sure about others. 
yeah, I mean, I can definitely relate to that. You just want to get in there and and get started. But um, I think it's that just stopping and taking a moment is going to be the big challenge. Yeah, absolutely. So having sort of outlined what the challenges were as we see them, the other aspect of this that uh, I wanted to talk about and which I'm hoping we will be sharing through some of these resources on our simulcast page is how do you, as a simulation program, develop a strategy? And I've seen, like you have, Jess, lots of photos of people on PPE on Twitter uh, doing their simulation exercises, and I think that's great. But I think we also need to think now more than ever, how are we targeting our simulation efforts? We've got only probably a short amount of time, and we really want to be thinking what is the highest yield for the outcomes that we can achieve for the staff and the patients. And the first plug that I would put in here is to really connect very quickly and rapidly with others across any organisation so that we don't have, for instance, the emergency department and ICU doing things in isolation. And uh, I personally have found that never has there been a better time for people to bond around training and to try and synchronise their efforts and to train together because we may well find that particularly in critical care, people are having to cross-cover roles uh, very quickly. And uh, so I think the more that we can do that both utilises and enhances that collaboration, the better. Uh, have you have you found that, Jess? Yeah, and I think, you know, in any sort of crisis, it becomes very clear where there's communication gaps or, you know, a lack of um, strong links between departments. And I, like you say, it's such an opportunity to really harness that and utilise that opportunity to strengthen cross-collaboration across the teams. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so whatever that looks like in your institution, whether it's having a uh, meeting every uh, three to four days, uh, seeing where people are up to and where to deploy resources to in terms of simulation staff. Uh, I know many people are very effectively using things like WhatsApp groups in order to harness that collaboration uh, the second part of it is how do you assimilate the diagnostic information that's put together? And again, I know that many simulation programs, you know, the time we've spent before the COVID uh, pandemic has been very useful. And if we've already got good systems are reporting up from our diagnostic simulation, then I think this works well. But thinking how to rapidly and effectively disseminate those findings, whether it's through infographics or formal reports, I think is is hugely important because a lot of those people at the um, pinnacles of our organisations, the leadership, they're being bombarded with a lot of information. So I think we really want to help them out by giving them simple messages and just letting them know that we are, you know, evolving our targets as we get that uh, diagnostic information. So um, again, personally, we're trying to have short infographic reports after most of these simulations, which are being collated by our uh, Assistant Director of Nursing for Education and Research, and uh, that seems to be working pretty well. Um, what else have you heard or seen, Jess? Um, I, I mean, I think it's a really tricky one working out those lines of communication and, you know, many people do step into roles that they may not traditionally. Um, but it is important, I think, especially that sharing aspect because, you know, as we're all setting up fever clinics and pathways for moving through the hospital, et cetera, 
Uh, there's a lot of time wasted if you set it up in the wrong spot. Um, so I, I think identifying who who the key communicators are, how those, um, what the best lines of communication are between those groups um, will help with that diagnosis and reporting aspect. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which brings us to the main point of this particular discussion, that is to talk about sharing. Uh, we are obviously connected with many people on Twitter and I've seen some fabulous resources. You know, EM Sim cases have put out some scenarios. The Canadians, as usual, the Sim One group have uh, a whole range of resources on their web page. Life in the Fast Lane and others have developed resources. And these include things like uh, actual simulation scenarios. They include uh, reference guides about what we should be training towards. And again, I've probably been more involved in things like airway management, but I know there's a very active obstetric group also thinking about the management of uh, maternity care in the era of COVID. So what we're trying to do with, uh, at Simulcast is trying to bring together some of these resources and just cross-reference with the others who are already doing good work in this area. And uh, so Jesse set us up a section on our webpage that will be a place for sharing. We will curate it uh, somewhat because obviously it's very difficult with signal and noise, but we would be very keen for people to contribute if they would like to, but we'll also be trying to curate what we can see uh, and add to that list as we become aware of other resources that people can use. Uh, so I'll just reiterate the details of that again in a minute. But um, Jess, anything sort of you want to add that you think would be really the most important things that we could be sharing? Oh, I couldn't put it down to one thing. I think it's just, you know, the key messages, get the key transport issues and, you know, that just the practical strategies I'm finding is is the big, the big questions. Yes, absolutely. I was, uh, you know, also listening to a podcast that Simon Carley did on St. Emlyn's and I think getting the information from those who are a couple of weeks ahead of us in Italy and uh, mm. obviously China has been extremely useful as helping us to direct our efforts. So uh, we hope we can also maintain some signal from noise in there too because mm. uh, a lot of those have been really excellent resources that we will be trying to link to. So how can you get onto that? Uh, this is just on our Simulcast page. That's simulationpodcast.com. Uh, we'll obviously link to that on, disseminate that on Twitter. There'll be a, a section on the website that's very clear to see, which is COVID-19, and we'll try and put up some resources there that we've found, but we would also encourage others to uh, share theirs if they can. Uh, in addition to this, I've asked a few of my friends from around the simulation community to record some short uh, couple-of-minute audio snippets that we'll be producing in a separate episode, and uh, they hopefully will be a chance for people to hear from the horses' mouths, as it were, about what people are doing, what they've found, uh, and what they think are emerging as the best tasks for their simulation work. So exciting times, Jess. Yes. Daunting but exciting. I think so. Uh, all right, well, that's all we want to say, Simulcast listeners. But as I said, just a reminder, uh, check out the website, simulationpodcast.com, and uh, we'll be coming to you with some extra Simulcast episodes over the next couple of weeks, which we hope will also be helpful. And uh, listen out because the other big news, of course, 
Jesse Spur will be interviewing Jess Stokes Parish uh, for a more detailed welcome to Simulcast for our new co-producer. Uh, welcome again, Jess. <laughs> All right, signing off for Simulcast. I'm Victoria Brazel. You're listening to Simulcast, a podcast about healthcare simulation.